He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to thee, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. It is a fascinating passage that we're looking at this morning. You got Jesus casting out demons. And the first thing we see is that the demon is mute. A demon that does not speak. How interesting is that, right? Demons always talk. Demons are chatty. That's the first thing they want to do is talk to you. That's the first thing they want to do in an exorcist. The first rule of exorcism, if you talk to anyone that's ever actually done it, holy men that they are and rare, is that you don't talk to the demon. The conversation is dangerous. It'll poison your soul. It'll ruin you. Conversation can do that. Jesus often, when he encounters a demon, will silence. He'll shut him up right off the bat. He doesn't want to hear it. And yet we've got here a demon who cannot talk. Isn't that strange? How did he get that way? I would imagine, follow me if you will, that this demon got into a fight with an angel at some point in history, got smacked in the mouth, never could speak again. That was the end of it. He's an injured demon because demons love to talk. There's another interesting thing here. Uh, there's a hierarchy of demons. It says here that uh, the prince of demons, as it is in the RSV, or the chief demon, of Beelzebub, that's who you cast them out. So there's a hierarchy in, in, in the demon world, as there is in the, in the angel world. We know the archangel Gabriel, the archangel Michael. Fascinating. They ask him for a sign. He had just cast a demon out of a man who had a mute demon, and thus the man couldn't speak, and now the man can speak, and they turn around and say, oh, well, show us a sign. <laughs> so typical of the atheist. The atheist will stand on stage with a Christian in a debate on the existence of God and say, oh, well, friend, if you just cause that pulpit up there to, to you know, levitate a little bit and come back down again, I'll, I'll believe and as soon as that were to happen, the atheist would say, well, there's a naturalistic explanation for that, and science just hasn't gotten there yet. Miracles confirm belief in the heart of a person who has been changed on the inside. It does not make a believer give us a sign. And then... Instead of like telling these people to shut up or opening up heaven on them or something like the Lord of glory could do, the second person of the ontological trinity could do, he reasons with them. He says, look, what you're saying is nonsense. You can, you can see this, right? If, if Satan were against Satan, there would be no kingdom of Satan and there wouldn't be this, this war going on that we see around us. He says, what you're saying is illogical. And I think it's marvelous how God is willing to to reason with the creature, man. It's also important to remember that our faith is a reasonable faith. It's faith, there's no doubt, but it's a reasonable faith based upon historical facts that even the pagans cannot deny. They reject Christianity out of a, well, because they don't like God. That's really why. They just don't like him. They got some sort of emotional problem with God. 
They don't not believe because there's not evidence for faith, for faith because that's just not the case. And then at the bottom of this paragraph, he says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Point number one, the rest of it was an excursus. Point number one, there is no neutral in the Christian life. The Christian life is like a car going up a hill that has no brakes. It's either in drive and it's moving up the hill, pop it into neutral, what will happen? It goes back down. There is no neutral in the Christian life. You are with, you are with Jesus or you are against him. You're either with Jesus, you're either gathering or you're scattering. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, that means that every single thought, word, and deed has to do with the kingdom of God because you're either with him or against him. The folks out there golfing today are against him. I'm not joking. They are. And they deteriorate the world with their lack of of religion, which is justice towards God. You see where this country's going, why, why it is where it is? It's because places like this aren't full anymore. That's why. Because when the kingdom was advancing in the hearts of so many more men in this country, it spilled out to their wives and their children and the schools and the business and everything around them. It impacted the world because they were advancing the kingdom in their hearts. And as they turned to brunch and golf, so it goes. Because you're either with him or against him, there is no neutral. And I know they feel like they're doing okay, but they're not. Now, he talks about the unclean spirit that goes out of a man. And in the latter part of that verse, he says something very interesting. The demon who had left the man who had been cleansed, remember from the gospel, maybe I'll read it for you here. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now, this is very, very interesting. He says, my house. Now, one might say, okay, well, that's just a, you know, a translation. You know, he could have said, maybe he didn't really say my house. Okay, I don't normally do like a lot of Greek exegesis in front of people that don't have an understanding of Greek. But let's real quick about this. Luke is a, is a Greek physician. Unlike the rest of the apostles, he doesn't speak Aramaic as a first language. He speaks Greek. He writes Greek. And Luke and Acts are the, are the most, uh, I would say complicated, but actually just the best Greek that you can read. Mark, for instance, God bless him, uh, listening to Peter and writing it all down, every sentence in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew begin, Mark begins with and. And Jesus did this. And Jesus went here. And Jesus went that. It, it looks like it's kind of like a three-year-old wrote it. It's not very good Greek, okay? And honestly, when they take it into English, they cut out a lot of the ands because it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Not so with Luke. As a matter of fact, Luke is so complicated that of the 400 words that you need to know in order to know 80% of Koinon Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, he has 11 words that only appear once called hapax legamina. My point is, is when the Greek physician chooses the way to say me, he says it with power. Two ways to say it. One, you just put the, 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 the word house into the genitive case and it just, it's just possessive. And it's like my house. Okay. The other way to do it is to leave it as it is 
and actually write the separate word mu, my, in there. And that's what he does. He doesn't say, uh, the demon doesn't say, I'm going to return to my house. He says, I'm going to return to my house. He owns it. It's his house. Why is that? He was cleansed. He was okay. Well, the first thing is, is he obviously chose neutral. He, maybe he stopped having an adulterous affair with his secretary. Maybe he was obeying all the Ten Commandments, the thou shalt nots. Maybe he was doing that. But is, is that enough? Is that all of moral theology in Christianity is simply to not do a bunch of stuff? Or is it rather to advance in virtue? Thomas Aquinas, justice, prudence, temperance, fortitude, the cardinal virtues from which flow hundreds of daughters. That is it. That's, that's not being in neutral. That's advancing in the Christian life, increasing in virtue. The other thing was, is that imagine that this, this man, imagine that all men are like a castle. And in this castle is a room of the soul. And in this soul room are a number of seats. And there's a seat here that is the intellect. There is a seat here that is the emotion. But the throne of this room is the will. It is what drives a man. I would argue that this man, cleansed as he might be, and even though he was obeying the Ten Commandments, when he prayed the Lord's Prayer, he said, my kingdom come, my will be done. Because he was not willing to put Jesus Christ on the throne of his heart, because that's a person who's advancing the kingdom. And furthermore, he tells us up here, he talks about the strong man. But what happens? A stronger man than him comes along. The man is sitting on the throne of his heart, okay, doing okay, neutral, which is not okay. And the stronger one comes in and knocks him off the throne. The demon comes in and takes it all away. Now, what would happen if that man didn't have himself on the throne, but had his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the throne? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In every little thing that we do, in every decision that we make. Now, some smart aleck is going to come up to me at the back of the church before this is all said and done and say, okay, Deacon Dave, so I'm just curious, what would God say about, you know, Diet Coke versus Diet Pepsi? <laughs> all right, I got you, I got you. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to stop you right now before you embarrass yourself. The answer to that is, is if, if that's that little small detailed question, if that's the biggest one you've got, well, then I'm going to heaven alone on your own holiness, on the coattails of all that, all that goodness. Because you're so squared away that that little question is the only one that you have. But I dare say there's probably bigger ones to handle first. So let's handle the big questions first as far as Will is concerned, and we'll handle the Diet Coke, Diet Pepsi one later. <laughs> Just in case you want to reduce my argument into ad, ad absurdum, uh, let's not go there. Deacon Dave smarter than that. All right. Then this woman comes up out of the crowd. And she says, blessed are you. Blessed, uh, no, blessed is your mom uh, who gave birth to you and, uh, and who nursed you. Well, that's nice. Isn't that sweet? There you go. And Jesus says, yay. Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, he doesn't disagree. He says, yes, yes, but the blessed Virgin Mary is blessed. But... Blessed are also, or even more so, it seems, 
Rather, hard to say, but blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Okay, so first off, let's start at a baseline. How blessed is the Blessed Virgin Mary? Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. Not diamonds, stars. Moon under her feet, her clothes shine like the sun. That seems pretty blessed. I don't even really understand it. I just get that that's, that's a good thing. It's kind of like heaven. It's kind of like C.S. Lewis talking about heaven. He says, you know, how do you explain it? You know, it's like we're kids and we th- we're three years old and we think it's a chocolate bar or something like that. But you can't really comprehend how wonderful it is. That's a, that's a picture of the blessedness. How does a person arrive at that? He hears the word of God and he keeps it. Hearing the word of God, the virtue of prudence, knowing the means to the end. Keeping the word of God, fortitude. The willingness to engage in the arduous. The willingness to engage in the arduous. That is fortitude. That is the Christian life. Why do I say it's the Christian life? Because with great fortitude, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sweated blood for you in the garden allowed himself to be drug off by Roman soldiers who took the, the flesh, not just the skin, but flesh off of his back, who carried a cross through that city until he couldn't get up anymore and Simon had to carry it for him, Simon of Cyrene. And then who willingly laid down upon that deathbed and was nailed to it. He mounted that cross willingly, folks, and he did that with great fortitude. How much more in fortitude, knowing that there is no neutral in the Christian life and with Christ on the throne of our hearts should we follow him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.